Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We understand that we need a word from you. We are desperate to hear from you and your word. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts, our minds, that we might understand your word better. And that we might leave here changed because of what you've spoken to us. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Can you guys believe it's two days till Christmas? Man, that really kind of snuck up on me this year. I don't know about you. It's crazy. You know, all the festivities going on. Uh, but I remember, I remember growing up, uh, me and my brothers were so excited for Christmas Day. We were so excited to open presents. We, we couldn't just wait until Christmas Day to open the presents, right? So somehow we persuaded, a.k.a. pestered, my parents into letting us open one present on Christmas Eve. Because we could just not wait until Christmas Day. We had to find out what was underneath that tree. We, we didn't like waiting. And so my parents were, were great and they obliged and that became a tradition in our, in our household. Because my, my, brother, my brothers and I, we, we couldn't wait. You know, our culture, we hate waiting, don't we? We hate to wait. We hate to wait in line. We hate to wait in the drive through We hate to get put on hold on the phone. Uh, and by all means, we try to avoid the DMV. I, I mean, we do not like to wait. We hate waiting. But Advent, it's the season of waiting. It's the season of waiting to remind us that God's best works are always worth waiting for. They're always worth waiting for. Sometimes we have to wait a long time to see God do what he's going to do. But it's always, always worth the wait. And in the story that we read this morning, we discovered that there were a few people who were eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come. They were eagerly waiting for God's plan to be fulfilled. But you know, not everybody was eagerly waiting. Many people, they'd given up hope. They'd stopped dreaming. They stopped wondering when God was going to come. And they'd just carry on with their lives. And they stopped waiting. But there were a few folks who were eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come, and we met them in our story today, and their names were Simeon and Anna. Now, I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 40. I'm not going to read it to you again, uh, but we've been in this sermon series called What Child Is This? And we've been looking at different characters in the Christmas story and, and seeing how they described who is this child that is coming into the world. And who is this child that we're all going to celebrate on Christmas Day? What can we learn from them? Who have we been waiting for all Advent season long? Now, the author of our Gospel, Luke, he had just uh, told the story where the, the angels come and proclaim to the shepherds uh, this, this good news of great joy. They go see Jesus in the manger, and then they return home. And it's right after that where we pick up the story. And Luke tells us that, that the child is circumcised and that he's given the name Jesus. Now, let me pause right there because these are some small details in the text but they're filled with a lot of meaning. Um, now, God planned how he was going to save the world, how he was going to save his people. And the salvation plan, guys, it's, it's not the cross only. Otherwise, why are, we, why are we waiting you know, through all this stuff? Why don't we just fast forward Luke from chapter 2 all the way to the end so we can get to the cross where God makes his plan? No, every part of Jesus' life is for your salvation and for your good. The cross isn't the only part. Yes, that's the culmination, the cross and resurrection. But every part of Jesus' life is part of God's plan to save and redeem. And now to a Jewish family, circumcision was very important. It was the sign of the covenant between God and the people. That you were obligated to obey and that you were going to carry out your part of the covenant. So just as in our culture, when you get married, you usually get a ring. And that ring is a sign of the covenant that I made with my wife. That I am obligated to fulfill all the vows that I made to her on our wedding day. In the same way, circumcision was the sign that the people would be obligated, that they would be uh, fulfilling all of their vows to God. 
and that God would fulfill his vows to them. It was the sign that one was committed to fulfill God's law. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul, he kind of gives some interpretation on this. In, in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now Luke is trying to tell us something here. He's trying to tell us something here. He actually mentions the law five times in this passage. Kind of an appropriate number for the law, if you will. Look at verse 22. It says, He did what was required by the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it's written in the law of the Lord. Verse 24, in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. Verse 27, what the custom of the law required. Verse 39, he sums it all up. Joseph and Mary had done everything required by what? The law of the Lord. You think Luke is trying to tell you something this morning? They did what was required. They were, Jesus was one who was born under the law. He was born under the law, and his parents were diligent in carrying out the law of God. Well, why is that important? Well, the Apostle Paul, a uh, uh, few years later, he kind of gives some interpretation on this, on this. Look what he says in Galatians 4. He says, When the set time had fully come, the time that they've been waiting for, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You see, Jesus is one who was born under the law to redeem all those who were in slavery to sin and therefore condemned by the law, but that he might set them free from that, that they might be sons and daughters of God. So this is all part of God's plan, how he is working out his salvation. From Jesus' birth, he is working his plan. And so Jesus, when he's circumcised, he's become one who is now obligated to obey the entire law. And for most people, that would have been really bad news. Because nobody had ever met anyone who had ever obeyed the entire law. No one had ever met anyone who, who fulfilled all of the covenant obligations. In fact, there were 613 commands. It was impossible. It was impossible to fulfill up until now. The one who was born to Mary was going to be one who was going to obey the law at every point. He was going to obey God no matter the cost. Even when God asked him to fulfill his plan by going to the cross and dying for every one of us, he was obedient unto that point. He was one who submitted himself to God that we might be saved. So Jesus becomes one who's born under the law, and then he's given the name Jesus, obviously, uh, and that name means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. So Luke is trying to show us that Jesus, this child, is the one who's going to save the world, the one that they've been waiting for, the one that they've been yearning for, he is finally here. And look what happens in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, let me pause right there. What a legacy Simeon left. I mean, look what's, look what's said about Simeon. If this was all that was said about you when all is said and done, this is, this is all the legacy that you could ask for. He was righteous. He was someone who was, who was kind and treated others fairly and rightly all the time. He was devout. He was dedicated to God. He fulfilled all of his obligations to God. He loved God. And what was, what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting to see God's plan fulfilled and maybe how he might play a part in that. And how did he do it? He did it because the Holy Spirit was on him. Friends, if, if that's all that could be said of you, could be said of one of us, that you were righteous, that you were devout, that you were waiting for God's plan, and that the Holy Spirit guided all your steps. 
That's all the legacy you need. We don't need to build a legacy like the world says. It doesn't matter if you're, you're unimportant to the world, if you don't have the right degrees, the right job, the right bank statements. That doesn't matter. Simeon shows us what a good legacy is. Someone who is waiting for God to work his plan of salvation. And so Simeon's waiting, and then, uh, in fact, we don't, we don't know how exactly, but the Holy Spirit tells Simeon that somehow he is going to see the Messiah before he dies. We don't know how, how he says that. Uh, and I think many of us, we say, well, gosh, I wish God would talk to me like that. I wish the Holy Spirit would, would, would show me stuff like that sometimes. You know, and I, and I think we all long for that, but I might say to us, perhaps we need to be a bit more like Simeon, making sure we're righteous, devout, waiting on God, and letting the Holy Spirit guide us. You see, many of us, we want to hear from God, but we don't like waiting on God. We don't like listening. We don't like pausing, and, and I, myself included. It's hard to pause. It's hard to wait. It's hard to listen. But if we want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, we've got to make room for God to speak. So Simeon is told this by the Spirit, and then he's moved by the Spirit in verse 27. It says he's moved by the Spirit to go to the temple. Somehow, way, God guides him to where he needs to go because God is setting up his plan. He's setting up a rendezvous. He's setting up a divine appointment for Simeon to meet the child Jesus. And when he finally lays his eyes on the child, he knew at that moment that this is it. This is the one that I was promised to see before I died. And, and he takes up the child in his arms with joy. And he breaks out into praise. And he praises God for the gift of, of his salvation, that his plan is finally here. After waiting all that time, it's been worth the wait for Simeon. And all of you, you've been waiting this whole sermon for me to get to the point. <laughs> to find out who this child is. What does Simeon say? Well, he says a couple things. The first thing Simeon says is that Jesus is the salvation God planned and prepared. Jesus is the salvation God planned and prepared. Verse 29, look what it says. It says you, Simeon says, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. God's prepared it. You see, the world into which Jesus came, it wasn't very pretty. Uh, you know, Rome had conquered many nations through military violence. The Jews were under their power and their taxation. The religious leaders at the time were hypocrites and power-hungry. The political leaders used their positions to gain prestige, honor, and wealth. And sin dominated people's lives. Man, sometimes it's, things don't change, it seems like. But quietly underneath it all, God planned and prepared a way to save us. A tiny child was born in Bethlehem, and he was now being held in Simeon's arms. He was the Stan Austin of the temple. He wanted, he wanted, to, make sure, he wanted to make sure that that baby was held. Sorry, a little, little inside joke here. But this baby was being held in Simeon's arms. And this was God's plan that he had prepared in the sight of all the nations. God planned it at just the right time. Have you ever had to plan for something so significant that you, that you really needed to prepare for it? You know, maybe you invited the whole church over to your house for an open house. <laughs> and you've been, you've been planning and preparing all week. I hope you come, by the way. It's going to be a really good time. Uh, but we often play, uh, prepare, uh, plan and prepare for significant events in our lives. You know, maybe it's for... Uh, you know, school, your job. I think for me, I, you know, I planned and prepared how I wanted to propose to my wife. And uh, I didn't know my in-laws. I didn't have it in my mind that you guys were going to be here when I was going to tell the story, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. Um, so uh, when Laura and I were young college kids in love, uh, she had told me uh, that 
If it were to come about, if you were to propose, uh, I, would, I would hope that you would propose in my home state of Maryland, uh, not, in, not in Indiana where we were going to school. She wanted a, me- a significant memory in Maryland. So I kind of, I, I tucked that, that piece of information away, and I said, okay, when the timing is right, I'm going I'm to remember this. I'm going to remember that. And so the timing came. The time was right. I was, we, were, we had talked about our lives. I was, I was ready to propose, uh, but it had, to be, it had to be a secret. I wanted it to be a secret. So I, so I planned to prepare it, and I found a weekend that was perfect, and I called up Laura's good friend, Jameson, and his, uh, his fiance Jen, and I said, hey, I want to come this weekend and, and propose. Could you help me? And they, of course, said, yes, that's great. We're so excited. And so uh, we, pl- we made the preparations. And unbeknownst to Laura, I got in the car and I drove from Indiana, uh, South Bend area, all the way to Frederick, Maryland, about 11 hours, drove by myself. And uh, Arova, I got to Jameson's house that Friday night. And the next morning, we were going to go uh, to this place that was, it's a place on the Appalachian Trail. And it's got, it's got like, a, like a castle-like turret. That you, that you go to the top, and at the top you can see all the different kind of Appalachian mountains, and it's beautiful, you can see three states. And we had been there years before uh, on a hike with some friends, and I thought, that, that is the perfect spot. That is where I need to propose. And so I said, well, me and Jameson, we're going to be waiting at the top. Jen, you take Laura and make sure she gets to that point because there will be waiting. So we, Jameson and I get to the top of the tower, and we're waiting, them, waiting for them to make this uh, three-mile hike, and it's taking a long time. We're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. We're like, what is going on? And uh, long, long story short, it had taken them longer that morning than they expected. And so uh, Jameson is texting Jen, and hey, hey, how far are you guys? And oh, we're 10 minutes away. And uh, at about that time, we noticed that this Boy Scout troop <laughs> came up to the monument to go to go look at this beautiful view. And we said, what's going to happen? Our whole plan is going to be ruined. And so Jameson said, oh, I'll go quick. So Jameson runs down, down the castle steps, and he gets to the Boy Scouts. He says, guys, guys, we, we're about five minutes away from a proposal. We just need you to wait. Can you wait? And they said, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait all here. So finally, Jameson and I go back, uh, back in the tower, and, and finally the girls make it up to the top, and Laura you know, winds up the staircase, and boom, there I am, to her surprise. And uh, the first words out of my soon-to-be fiancé's mouth were, shut up, shut up. <laughs> How are you here right now? I mean, she was just so surprised. She was so surprised. And so then I told her how much I love her and appreciate her and want to spend the rest of my life with her. Got down on one knee, and she said yes, obviously. And it was a great time. And we're walking down the staircase, and all of a sudden, we hear all this applause. (laughs) The Boy Scouts are clapping their hands and celebrating our wonderful marriage. And that's how I proposed to my wife. You see, when you love someone so much, You plan and prepare for significant moments. Brothers and sisters, God loves you so much that he planned, he prepared the way for you to be saved. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by surprise. And he wanted to show you in the most tangible terms possible that he loves you to the core of your being. He will never stop loving you. He will always love you. His love is always there. His arms are always open. He has planned and prepared for you to be saved. And his invitation goes out to us all. What a wonderful God that we serve. Because he planned and prepared it for us. You see, Paul says it this way in Romans 5, verses 6 or 8. He says, you see, at just the right time, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, 
though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What wondrous love we have. Ever since the Garden of Eden, as Gene talked about in the front, God has been working his plan to save the world, calling Abraham, redeeming the people out of Egypt, calling them out of exile, and now the time has come where he comes into the world to redeem it. Just the right time. So Simeon tells us, Jesus is the salvation God planned and prepared for us. The second thing that we learn from Simeon is that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Verse 32, Simeon says, He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon, he says this, uh, this child Jesus, he's going to be light in two different ways. So kind of a, an A function and a B function of the light, okay? So the A part is this light is going to be revelation to the world. Or to the Gentiles, as Simeon says. And that's, the, that's the Jewish word for, for everybody else that's not a Jew. The whole world, all the nations. All right? And so the reality is God had revealed himself in a special way to Israel. He had given him his word. He had done all these amazing things, all these stories. He had sent the prophets. But to the rest of the world, God had not revealed himself in a very particular or specific way. And now at that time, uh, there were lots of different religious beliefs, but, but many people, they believed in all kinds of gods. And they believed that you know, things were either going well, well in your life because of the gods or things could be going bad. Someone, you, know, you could be sick because the gods are mad at you. You could, you could have something going wrong at your job because you've, you've angered a certain god. You didn't know who, what god was in control of your life when. You didn't know what god to go to. And so you just had to make sacrifices all the time to make sure the gods were on your side. And so there was, I can imagine that would be an anxiety-producing environment to have that you didn't know who God was, you didn't know if he was pleased with you or mad at you, and you didn't know what you had to do to gain favor with the gods. And so the greatest gift that God gives to us in Christ is that now we know what God is like. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus Christ. Look at his character. Look at his life. Look at his love. Do you want to know what God expects? Trust in Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what, what, we ought, what we ought to do? Look at the teachings of Jesus Christ. There's no more guessing game because we know that we are loved by God, that we have found favor with God, that He has revealed Himself to us. We now know that God is a loving Father, that He wants to provide for us, that He wants to care for us, that He meets all of our needs, and that He expects us to trust in His Son. We don't have to guess anymore. We have the light of revelation to the world. And the second way that this light was to function, that B function, is that this light would bring glory to Israel. You see, even though the light is to the whole world, God isn't leaving Israel behind. He's actually, He's fulfilling all of His promises to them. And, and in fact, that now Jesus' coming is going to be the most beautiful crown of glory upon them yet. That the salvation of the whole world would somehow come through a Jewish man, circumcised on the eighth day, descendant of the father Abraham, descendant of King David, and it would be this child who is going to save and redeem. What glory is given to Israel when the Savior of the world gets to come from them. That is the glory of Israel. And Israel would now be fulfilling the mission for which they were called, which was to be a light to the nations in the first place, which was to bring the blessing of Abraham to all the nations. And through Christ, God is now bringing His light, His life, and His love to all people. But now the story takes a twist. So far, everyone in the Christmas story has said wonderful things. You know, what child is this? He's, he's the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's all these amazing things. 
Uh, but then Simeon starts to say something kind of ominous. What he says in uh, verse 34 and 35. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. Something ominous is going to happen. What is he, what is, what is he saying? And this is my, the final point that Simeon makes. Is Jesus will either be a cornerstone or a stumbling block. Jesus will either be a cornerstone or a stumbling block. Let me, let me talk about what I mean by that. Simeon says that Jesus is going to cause the, the rise and fall of many in Israel. He says many's going to, many people are going to speak against Christ. They're going to say things against Christ. Now, Simeon here, he seems to be referring to two different groups of people. Uh, some people, they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to fall because of him. And some people are going to rise, the word for resurrection, because of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Jesus' life, don't we? You know, many people follow him. He draws crowds. He has his disciples. People, you know, saying Hosanna at his name. But then there's other people who are against Jesus. And they want him gone. They want him dead. They want, they, they want to get rid of him. And he divides the people in Israel. And then look, look what Jesus, Jesus' apostle Peter, one of his closest associates, he, go, he goes on to write this about Jesus, and he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah as well. And, and look what he says here. He says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. So there's kind of this metaphor given that Jesus is like a stone. He's like a stone. And to those who believe, they, they make Jesus the cornerstone of their life. Now, the cornerstone, when, someone, when they were building a building, that's the one that had to go in first in the corner. And every other stone that's in the building has to be aligned and square and matched with that stone so that the building is sturdy and straight. That's what the cornerstone is. And so those who are true followers of Jesus Christ, they build their life on him in that way. That all of their life, they measure their entire lives by how am I aligned with the cornerstone. Does my life match his teachings? Does my life speak of Christ? Can people see the light and the love of Christ in me? Am I aligned? Am I building my life on the foundation of Christ? But for other people, Jesus is not the cornerstone. He's a stumbling block. They stumble over him. You know, many people, they couldn't accept Jesus' message then. They stumbled over it. And people to this day, they still stumble over it now because to them it sounds so foolish. A baby born in a manger to a virgin that went on to live a sinless life and died on the cross 2,000 years ago, what does that matter for my life today? Or some people might say, oh, well, it's just a crutch to get people through life. What do I need that for? And so they stumble over the cornerstone. But now that Jesus has come into the world, friends, we don't get the choice to be neutral. Either he's the cornerstone in your life or you trip over him to your own demise. What you say to Jesus, how you respond to Jesus, what you do with Jesus in your life is the most important decision you will ever make for your life now and into eternity. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Get right with Jesus, build your life on him because that is the most important thing about this whole life. That's what it's all about. You know, when Jesus ended his famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, he said, the wise person is, is like someone who builds their, builds their life on the rock or builds their house on the rock. The rock is the teachings of Christ. And when the storms come, it beats against the house, the house is still standing because it's built on the rock. 
But those who reject Jesus' teachings are like those who built the house on sand. When the storms come, the house comes down with a great crash. And that is the offer that Jesus gives all of us. He offers us his grace, his life, and his love. But he offers to make a choice. Do we build his life? Do we go with him and build a life on him? Or do we build a house on the sand? And that is why Simeon says he will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Because he invites us to make a choice. What are we going to do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? The hope of Christians, or the hope of Christmas, is a call out to you to build your life on Christ. What will you do with Christ? So what do we do? What do we do? Each of us must respond to Jesus like Simeon did. If we could all, in, in a metaphorical way, if we, could, if we could take up Jesus in our arms and rejoice over him and proclaim that this is the one who was to come and save me, and you praise God and rejoice in what God has done for you, that is what our response must be, to wonder. And some of us, we might need to renew our wonder, our awe, our joy at this gift that God has given. May you renew your joy in Jesus Christ, in his birth this Christmas season. The second thing we must do is that churches, churches everywhere, must be intensely focused on sharing the light of Jesus Christ, on sharing his message, on sharing his good news. We've got to get crystal clear about that, that Jesus is extending an invitation to, get, to be the cornerstone of your life. You know, and the reality is, is this, this will cause division for some because, you know, our world doesn't like a, a message that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Many people don't like that today. But it may also cause division in the church because many Christians every, everywhere in all kinds of churches, they forget what the purpose of the church is about. You know, just as people get frantic at Christmas season and they have all these kinds of things to do and, they lo- and they, they're, we're fighting to remember the reason for the season, and the same thing happens in churches all the time. We have all these kinds of activities, things that we do, things we like, our preferences in the church, and we forget the reason for the church is to proclaim the light of Jesus Christ to the world. That's why we're here. That's our mission. We can get caught up in all these kind of, kind of things and have this nice thing for ourselves, but our mission, our goal here is, is to spread the light of Christ to the community around us, to show people the love that Jesus Christ has given the world and to invite them in. That's why we're here. The greatest gift that you can open on Christmas Day is welcoming Jesus Christ in your life. And you know what the greatest gift you can give is? It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the greatest gift that you could give to other people. One day, my friends, after much waiting, we're going to have to wait some time, I think. Maybe it'll be sooner than I think. But one day, God will come again. Jesus will come again to restore all things. And we might have to wait a little while for that day, but the wait is going to be worth it. As we move into prayer this morning, you know, you guys know we're starting a series in January called Explore God. And I think it's going to be an opportunity to share the light of Christ with people who are searching. We're not talking, a lot, talking a lot of questions that, that people might have and and I want us to be praying about that together as a church because I think, I think we have a, a very unique opportunity to share Christ with people. Um, and so I want to show you a video, and, and then uh, I'll wrap up the sermon and we'll, we'll move into prayer. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real. The sun makes its course. I believe it's random. I don't think there's a plan. For all we know, there could be aliens out there. I I have no idea, to be honest. 
There's so many things where it's just like, like that has to have someone, something behind it. I would say that God put this curiosity in all of our hearts. I don't think it's, it's a bad thing that we, we look at other options and look down other roads to try to figure out exactly why we're here or what our purpose is in life. Friends, we're going to have eight weeks uh, where people are going to have the opportunity to explore God with us. Maybe there's someone in your life. I was actually talking to a church member this morning. There's a family member they already have in their mind that they want to invite to this series. And I want you to take some time. Who in your life do you need to invite to this series? Is there someone who is searching? These are going to be messages where it's, it's very question-focused. It's very inviting to someone who is searching. And we want this to be a safe place where people can come, explore God, and learn about Him. So I'm going to invite us to, to pray now uh, with that in mind and think of your person. And uh, So would you please join me in prayer? Oh God, we love you and we praise you for being such a God that you planned and you prepared the way for Jesus to come and save us and redeem us. God, we are incredibly grateful for all that you have done in our lives for what you've done in sending your son and now that he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit and that we get to participate in the triune life and in, in, in who you are and that we get to participate in what you're doing in the world and father we confess that we haven't always done what we need to do we haven't always lived with the zeal we need to have we haven't always shared when we need to share and Lord sometimes we even confuse the reason for the season so have mercy upon us, O oh God, in our weakness. And help us, Lord, to remember why we are here and why we are celebrating Christmas this season. And Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to be the light of the world. For those who are walking in darkness, help us to shine the light of Christ. Lord, we pray for those countries, for those nations, for those peoples who still need the gospel. Lord, for people even in Israel and Bethlehem in the Middle East to this day, who still need to hear the good news of great joy. We pray that they would see the light of life. We pray that your holy church, the body of Christ, would be a bright light in the world. Lord, sometimes our light gets dim, and we need your help. We need your help to be holy. We need your help to increase our light. We need you to increase our boldness in sharing Christ with others. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be such light in our community. Lord, we think of those neighbors, those co-workers, those family members that we need to reach for Christ. We pray that you would give us opportunities over the next couple of months to share Christ with them, to invite them to explore God. And we take a moment to pray for them now in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to join with Explore God with many churches across Chicagoland area. Lord, we pray that you would use it to bring many to you, to save many people, and we pray that you would use it to equip us as we reach out in our personal relationships. And Father, we also pray for those in our congregation who need your hope, your peace, your healing. We pray for Cherish Goldman, 
with her health and her challenges at work, that you would bless her and heal her, give her your strength. Lord, we pray that you would be with John Dinkle and his whole family. As they grieve and as they celebrate Maryland this week, Lord, may they feel your comfort, your strength, your touch, and your holy presence with them. Surround them with your love, O God. We pray for your healing for Kathy Hill, for Nancy Nyquist, that your healing touch would wash over them. And we also pray for Ben Hayes in his wheelchair, that that, that that wheelchair, Lord, would be ordered quickly and it would be fulfilled. Lord, we pray those, for those who are newer to our congregation that you would help them to get established and feel welcome here, feel part of the family. Help them to get connected, O oh God, and be with them. God, we thank you that you meet all of our needs in Jesus Christ and that you gave us this wonderful prayer that we now pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I would now like